0: All right, please turn to Philippians. Of so those of you who have been following, we have been making our way through the book of Philippians and we are in chapter 3. Chapter 3, I must confess something to you. Last time I said that this portion of Scripture from verse um, 12 to 21, I was going to do it in two parts. Um it looks like it will be maybe another part after this and maybe another one after it. So just bear with me. It's just the way it is. Sorry about that. Um, So turn to Philippians chapter 3. Well, I'll just read what we went through last time from verse 12. The Apostle Paul reads, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lays behind and reaching forward what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude and if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which you have attained. We spoke last time, the first part of this section is the growing Christian. And we looked at just one point and we looked at how if we were a believer, it was were to make a New Year's resolution because it happened to be on the first day of the year... It would be to become more like Christ, to continue to run that race, so that, that we may become more like Christ and to leave behind the rest of the year whatever we didn't do and whatever we, we ought to do and to excel in our walk with Christ and to be conformed to the perfect image of Christ even when times are hard. I encourage you, if you have not heard that sermon, perhaps it will make more sense today's sermon if you listen to the last sermon that I preached on this. But we praise God and we thank the Lord that the most committed Christian that ever walked planet Earth, as far as we know, was the Apostle Paul. He actually admitted that he had not arrived yet to that perfect holiness in Christ Jesus. He had not arrived to to that perfect uh, sanctification. And that gave us hope. Amen? but we also saw that the apostle paul did not stay in the condition that he was in he did not sit in the corner and cry he moved forward he did not allow things to distract him he did not allow even himself being in prison to distract him from aiming for aiming rather a life of holiness and perfection and purity paul moved forward he continued to be committed He committed himself to run faster, to look towards Christ, the upward uh, call of God, uh, that he would one day receive the crown of glory. And this is for believers who love the appearing of God. It's for all of us to to learn from. And we saw the Apostle Paul in that, that he was bearing much fruit. And that's where we see ourselves this morning, In verse 15 and 16, 16. we see the practical side of it, the response, so to speak, to what we spoke about last time. For we as believers, it's one thing to say that we are Christians, but it's a different thing when we bring forth fruit to show our Christianity. If you recall, the Apostle Paul has already expressed this in chapter 1, verse 27, to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our Christian life is not just that we believe, it is a progression that leads to a transformed life. And it's made up of many things. We study the Word of God. We learn the Word of God. We worship with the people of God. We sing to God the Word of God. We serve one another unto God. We fellowship together for God and we give offering to God. We do the Lord's Supper together in remembrance of God and we practice the Word of God. This is a Christian who is maturing in his life. We want to we acknowledge, are we maturing We help one another to aim ourselves so that we can fight temptations, trials and tribulations in life. We are called to mature. When a farmer plants a crop, whether grapes or potatoes or tomatoes or apples or oranges, vegetables, you figure out what a a farmer can plant. His purpose is that he wants fruit to come forth. And not just any fruit, little fruit, but Ripe fruit, good fruit, so that when that fruit comes forth, he has a blessing over it and he enjoys the labor of it. He cuts it, he sells it, he eats it. But if that tree doesn't bring forth any fruit, then it's no good. It's cut down. Now we know that every tree that is planted brings forth different fruit in accordance. Some 30, some 70, some 7, but there is expectance of fruit bearing. Paul had not arrived to the maturity of the fullness of Christ. We know that he didn't know all the deep things of God. He didn't possess all the knowledge of the eternal things of God. He had not arrived to that perfection, but he labored hard. He pressed on and he bore much fruit. And as an athlete, he continued. If you recall, we spoke much about an athlete last time. He kept running. He kept running on that track because he wanted to receive that crown of glory from Christ who was the judge who would give it to him in accordance. And by the way, I might not have mentioned this last time, when the racing was taking place and those games were taking place, the only person who received uh, a prize was the winner. No one else. So when the Apostle Paul tells us to run that way, he says for us to run that race as if you were the only one who was going to receive that prize. No second best. We want to run to be the best. And as the farmer then plants and, and he's, he wants the fruit to mature, so does Christ. If he's the root of our soul, we must then be the fruit of that root. And we must bear that fruit. And we ought to grow in our maturity in Christ Jesus. So the last time we looked at one point, which was the ripe pursuit. Today we will look at the second point. But I'll break it down into 4 subpoints. okay? So um, we can follow along. And today we will look at the right attitude. The last time we looked at the right pursuit, and today we'll look at the right attitude. And the, the first point in this right attitude that we will see is that the perfect man, the mature man, he has the right attitude. It's the mature man that has the right attitude. Look at now, verse 15. We begin by reading, let us therefore as many as are perfect. Let us, who, who are this us? It's the people that Paul has already spoken of who are running the race. Those who are pressing on, those whom he said, hey, they are not looking back. They are looking ahead. They are looking towards Christ. Their eyes are fixed on Christ. He says, let us then accordingly to what I just said, let us, he puts himself in there, as many as are perfect. He begins to encourage these maturing believers to have this mindset. Let us, those who are mature, those who are committed to the running this race, those who have not arrived but desire to finish well, he says, have this attitude. As many as are perfect. I love this. The Apostle Paul is humble enough here to leave it open. To say, well, examine yourself. Are you being made perfect? Are you perfect? Yes, he's calling on those who are maturing. But it's, an, it's also an indictment in the sense to say, are you maturing? Because it's only the mature who will actually run the race. The immature looks at those who are running the race. But the mature says, Come and run with me. And again, last time I explained this word perfect is not talking about sinlessness. It's talking about accomplishment. One who is growing in maturity for Christ. It speaks of going to completion. And so Paul is saying here for those who are maturing, those who are continuing by the strength of God, run this race. They are growing. They are maturing in Christ-likeness. They are not stuck at salvation. They are growing in that salvation. You know, my fear is there are many people that are stuck at salvation. You know what I mean by that? They're stuck there. They said, well, I'm saved. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone. Leave me alone. They're stuck there and said, well, I am saved. And we would all say, amen, we are saved by that, correct? I mean, it is faith alone, Christ alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. And then have no desire to move forward, no desire to run the race. But this is not so much a salvation issue. And I share this with you with a broken, really a heavy heart. This is a love issue towards Christ. If you are saved by grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone, then why aren't you living for Christ alone? Why aren't we moving forward? This is a love issue. It is an affection issue. It is a commitment issue. It is a lack of love for Jesus Christ. That's the issue. Some are not maturing, perhaps, because they don't take the opportunity. When trials and tribulations come, they lack praising God. they don't thank God, they don't acknowledge the fact that God is sovereign over that situation and He wants to teach them something instead, they'll grumble, complain, get angry, and even question the Lord. Paul never wasted any opportunities. if you recall in chapter in chapter one, the apostle paul uh, verse twelve. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He did not waste the opportunity at all. He was chained to perhaps two people under house arrest. And look at what happens. So that in my imprisonment, I cried and I wept and I felt sorry for myself. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says, in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Pretoria guard and everyone else. And most of my brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Do you see that? We don't see trials and tribulations of life as a way that we ought to mature. Count it all, what? Joy, brethren, when trials come. Count them as joy, for Christ is working in you. You are never going to grow if you don't face trials and tribulations in your life with the gospel. You will say, God, please part from me this Red Sea so I can walk on a beautiful, smooth land to get to the other side. I just want to get to the other side to see you. But sometimes God brings waves and trials and testings to see if you will trust Him. One writer, Warren Wesby, said this, The mature Christian knows how to sing while he's suffering. Wow. I don't know how many of you guys know Joni Erikson Tata. You do, right? The little ones know her. Well, she's a lady whose life from an accident, a swimming accident, is now, has been for many, many years in a wheelchair. This lady is such an encouragement just to, just to listen to her. And she wrote this. This is from a lady who's on a wheelchair, um, cannot barely move. I think she can only move quadriplegic, she can only move one hand. And she says this it seems. Quote, we need an occasional blast of storm of fiery trial if our faith is to mature. Wow. Talk about faith. We complain about the smallest things. My ingrown toenail or, you know, I got a flat tire and someone cut me off. You know, whoa, God, what are you doing? Part the Red Sea for me so I can get through. Paul is saying those who are aiming for perfection, they have a right attitude. They show affections for God, love, devotion. There's a commitment to Christ. They are growing. There is a growth. You can see a growth in them. Not just in their words. They're not just theologically sound. They don't just give you cross the T's and dot the I's about doctrine. They live it. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 11, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Then later on, the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, do not be children in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 20, in your thinking, yet in evil be infant. But in your thinking, be mature. We are called to mature. The maturing people are those who have confidence in Christ, not in themselves, and they bring forth healthy fruit, good fruit, fruit that all can actually see and actually eat from and be blessed from. These people are wiser, They are fit to run the race. They are healthy to endure the race. They are committed to win the race. They are excited to finish the race. And they are looking forward for the final prize where the race is done. When they receive Christ. Again, I remind you, this is not talking about sinless perfection. Okay, This is talking about a way of life, a way we ought to live our lives. And be sensitive in your lives. Be sensitive of the sins in your life. Know your own sins. You all have DNA. Your sins are different than mine. Your temptations are different than mine. Be aware of them. John MacArthur, I love this, and I had to put it in there. He says, The mark of a mature life is not sinlessness, which is Reserved for heaven, but growing awareness of sinfulness. This is a mature person. Think about it, how important it is for us to grow. As a child, one can be very easily manipulated in believing the wrong things, reading the wrong things, speaking the wrong things, hanging around with foolish kids, foolish crowds. But as a grown man, you think clear, or woman, you make better decisions, and you are not easily tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You stand firm in the truth, in your faith, you deal with your sin properly, and you're growing, and your fruit is sweet. It's sweet. That's your first point. Small so we'll sub point to the point. Paul then continues. And he says, have this attitude. The second thing is the right attitude, the right mindset. Have this attitude. Continue. Those who are mature, continue to have this attitude. Now think about this, brothers and sisters. In our Christian life, how to deal with anything in life, where does it begin? It begins in our mind. To think biblically. If you want to mature in your Christian life, it begins in your mind. You want to run the race to the end, you need to train your mind to do that. You cannot truly grow as a Christian only externally if your heart's not set upon it. Because if that's the case, it's only a matter of time where you will burn out and perhaps, perhaps check out. Have this attitude. Which attitude? What is it Paul talking about? I want to take you all the way back to chapter chapter 2. What attitude is Paul talking about here? From verse 5. Do you remember that? We spoke about this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself, taken the form of, form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death On the cross. Have this attitude. Are you in chapter 3? Here's the attitude that Paul wants us to have in accordance to what he's been saying. Verse 7, chapter 3. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Have this attitude. I count all things to be lost in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Have this attitude. In whom I suffer the loss of all things. Have this attitude. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Have this attitude. And I may be found in him. Have not the righteousness derived from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and a power of the resurrection and a fellowship of the sufferings and be conformed to death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the attitude that we are meant to have. This is an attitude of a growing Christian. I'm not discouraging you. I'm trying to encourage you to behold the beauty of God, to be more like Christ. It is to grow in your mind of meditating on the things of Christ. Have this attitude. Endure persecution. Endure suffering. Endure mocking. What Christ has done before us. Be like him. Be holy. For he is holy. He didn't say, I'm holy, you do whatever you want. I am perfect, you are imperfect, so I'm going to leave you that way. No, he tells us to live a life that is actually holy. Have this attitude. Remember where Paul is. He's in prison. What an attitude to have. We call Australia the lucky country, don't we? We have such freedom. And yet, at the best of time, we are more shackled than the Apostle Paul with the things of this world. We are more chained to the things of this world than the Apostle Paul was chained to two Roman guards. And we fail to have this attitude. If we were to forsake all things and leave all things and count all things as rubbish and run that race and focus ahead to look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, to press up towards that goal, the first thing we must train is our mind. Our mind. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed in the renewal of your mind. Set your mind on things above in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, not the things of this earth. Now think about this. When you're a bit down, when there's a trial, a tribulation, an attack, a sin, the devil's annoying you. What's the first thing that gets attacked? It's your mind. Isn't that, isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden that Satan did also with Adam and Eve? What happened? He put doubt in their mind. Doubt, did God really say? Brothers and sisters, we must, we must, must protect our minds. What are we feeding our minds? Think about the movies you watch, the Facebook that you flick, and the Instagram that pop up, and the Snapchats. I don't know what else is there. And the environment that you live in, the friends you have, and the books that you read. You ought to think towards Christ, the people of Christ. Run the race. Enjoy Christ because. This world can clutter your mind. Clutter your mind. We're just stuff. Stuff. You want to be on the right path, you must train your mind. How much we need to encourage one another in this. (laughs) How much we need to encourage one another in a world that so easily can trap our minds with just this deceitfulness of stuff. I need something else. Lord, help us. I need new shoes, new car, new paint, new fence. new It's endless. For what? We need to pray. We need to act. We need to feed our souls with the word of God that will change us. We need to fellowship more that will change our ways. We need to serve the body of Christ. And in that, our affections change. I want you to think about this. How many times have you come to church and you sing into the Lord, you lift up your hands, you've got tears coming down, and you're hearing the word of God, and you're convicted, you're convinced, you're encouraged, you're rebuked, and only to walk out of here a short period of time later to forget what on earth you heard. Because you're thinking, oh, what are we going to cook tonight? Kids have got to go to school. Um, my work, I've I've got to do something, and you forget. Your mind just gets cluttered with stuff. Paul is saying for the mature, continue with this attitude. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, you take this attitude home. You take the attitude at work, at the shops, with your friends, to the beach, wherever you are, have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. John Calvin said, We ought to apply our minds to meditation upon the future life so that this world may become cheap to us. I love that. Could you imagine that you wake up in the morning and say, This world is cheap? I'm looking ahead. I've got glory coming for me, I've got heavenly rewards stacking up. Instead, we want earthly ones. You know, I want it now, and so Paul then continues, and we bring it to the third thing. In verse fifteen, please read with me. If you in Philippians fifteen, uh, chapter three, verse fifteen, let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. And now listen to this: If in anything you have a different attitude, God will also reveal that to you. God will reveal that also to you. So, there's a third thing the right adjustment in the attitude. Because there are those, obviously, in the Philippian church that were actually not agreeing with some stuff that Paul was saying. Having a different attitude. They were opposing what Paul was saying. They're not unbelievers. Unbelievers oppose everything you say to them. Okay? These are believers. They were just opposing, they're having a different attitude in some of the stuff that Paul was saying. Perhaps they had a different attitude. I'm doing okay. I don't need to press on. You know, I'm doing all right with Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus, we're tight. Perhaps they weren't seeing the importance of that progression. Perhaps they didn't see the importance of suffering for Christ. Maybe they, they were differing, with, uh, having an indifference with Paul in growing in the knowledge of Christ to be conformed to his death. Maybe they didn't see the need of seeing anything as rubbish. Maybe they didn't mind grumbling a little bit, complaining a little bit. You know, I'm talking about the sermons that we've preached before, okay? Stuff that's in Philippians. Maybe they didn't agree that there had to be the light of the world in this crooked and perverse generation because of self-preservation. Or maybe they didn't see the importance of the Scriptures. Or maybe they were arrogant enough to think that they actually had arrived. They were perfect. They didn't need to submit. They didn't need the body of Christ. They didn't need to pray. They didn't need to fix their eyes upon Jesus. They didn't need Bible studies. No fellowship. Now think about this for us. They were reading this letter, right? So they were ultimately... Disagreeing with whom? God. So they had a disagreement with God, right? Because it's a word of God. Paul penned it by the Spirit of God. They are reading it and ultimately they are actually disagreeing with God. And Paul continues, he says, listen, if you're not going to believe what I wrote by the Spirit of God and God's word, well, sure, God will reveal this to you also. I actually love that, to be honest. God will reveal it to you. It takes the stress of the elder. OK? God will reveal it to you. Why? God will not allow those whom He loves, and he's purchased by his own son's blood to be wayward to be comfortable, to be bench warmers, to sit there and pretend everything is fine, to be content in this life and live a mediocre Christian life. God will reveal that to you. He will reveal to you your wrong thinking. He will reveal that to his children and his appointed times. He will open their eyes. And Paul had confidence in this. He had confidence in this, and, and it's very humbling because it doesn't matter how charismatic I can be up here for you, how nice I am to you when I have you at my house, and how much I disciple you. You know what? If you have an issue with God's Word, I trust that God will reveal it to you. That's humbling in two, two ways. One, of course, it takes the stress of the one who's saying it like the Apostle Paul. Two, God loves you enough that He will reveal that to you. That's God's love. Only God can change a person. Only God can convince a person. Only God can convict a person. God can take care of his people. As I stand here today and I don't pretend to convince you or convict you of anything. My peace is with God. I bring you the word of God. But I want you to think about this to encourage you a little bit. Think about this. In your Christian life. Who's been guiding you all this time? Yes, you have under-shepherds, and they're sort of guiding you here, but ultimately it's actually God who's guiding you. God is doing that. Have you ever thought about how do you deal with sins and how you have lack in your life of things and you're not growing, you are growing? Who's revealing this to you? God is. God Himself. What a wonderful God. The apostle Paul said. He that began the good work in you will do what? Will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will do that. In other words, Paul is expressing that some were having an indifference to him. And he says, God will accomplish what he will at his appointed time. He will reveal that to you. By the way, this word reveal is the same word that is used for revelation which actually speaks of, say you have a window with a curtain on it, no one can see, in. no one can see out. It is when you move it, only when you move it, that you can actually see what's behind it. And the Apostle Paul is using this and he's saying, in God's appointed time, God is going to pull back the curtain, the scales from your eyes, and you're going to see what you didn't see before. You're going to now agree in what you didn't agree before. Think about this. How does God do this? Let me ask you. In your Christian life, has there been things in your life, I don't know about you, how many years you've been a Christian, that you were, you could swear black and blue like Peter, that you were so right about something about doctrine, and then a, maybe a year or so, two later, you realize you were actually wrong? Have you ever done that? I know I have. And I had to humble myself say, no no, "No, no, 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 that's wrong. Who do you think did that? No flesh and blood has revealed that to you. God has. In God's appointed time, sometimes, how does God do it? Directly, through his word. Sometimes God does it how? Through the elders. Sometimes you are grumbling about someone, talking about someone, and a sister or a brother gets next to you and they chat with you and they open up the Scriptures and you have a light bulb. There is an epiphany. God is revealing that to you. He speaks through the church. He speaks through His people, through His Word, and He speaks directly by His Spirit. But I have to warn you. If perhaps you are stubborn in some of the things of God that you're putting your fists up and you don't want to agree with God, I want to read something to you from Hebrews. Because God does do it this way as well. Chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Let me read it to you. My son slash daughters, okay? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint. When he you are reproved by him, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Be aware, brothers and sisters, there are times that if you're disagreeing with some of the things of God, God will bring discipline in your life. And that may be through sickness. Wherever, however, God does it, he says. Don't take it lightly. So if there are things in your life, if you're stubborn enough, be aware of it. God can do it that way. But let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you desire to change? Do you desire to change? Do you desire to want more of Christ, to feel the presence of Christ? Do you love Him? Just another thing that popped into my head, just to share with you, Joni Erickson tata she said this in her testimony, that her feelings, her closeness and fellowship with God, she would not even trade for her walking. Did you get that? If God was to remove her closeness with her, she says, I would rather be a quadriplegic. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Be sensitive to the Scriptures. Know that it's not always about you. It's about God. Listen to when your brothers and sisters are talking to you. If they love you, they may just be giving you a word from God. They are not God, but they may be speaking the things of God to your heart. Then pray like this afterwards. Like the psalmist, Psalm 119, 17 and 18. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold the wonderful things of your Lord. And another thing I want to share with you, brothers, is that the Apostle Paul doesn't condemn those who are not actually growing. He doesn't. He actually says, God's going to deal with you at the point of time, right? I want to encourage you for those who are growing in maturity, who see yourself a little bit more one step ahead of someone else. You know God has patience with you. He shows you mercy every day. Then be patient with someone else who's a baby in Christ. Be patient with them because God is patient with you. But maybe some of you are not convinced, not convicted, and you have a different attitude simply because you are not born again. Maybe the gospel truth has not penetrated into your soul yet. Maybe you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and there is no new nature. And everything that this funny-looking man who looks like half a Santa is saying to you today makes no sense to you. It's bouncing off you and going out the window, and you can't wait to leave because he's just babbling. Simply because you have no new heart, no new desire, and no affections for Jesus Christ. I call upon you to repent, trust Jesus Christ, and he promises to give you a new heart, new desires, new affections, and the Spirit, his Spirit, will come and dwell in you, and he will convict you of your wrongdoing. And that brings us to the last point, verse 16, the right life attitude. Look at verse 16 with me. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. The Greek literally reads one more thing, just one more thing. I love the Apostle Paul, so I can always say I'm like the Apostle Paul because I always got one more thing to say. One more thing, just hang on a second. Nevertheless, just wait. One more thing. For that which has come before you, that's in the Greek, follow it after. That verse says basically, one more thing. For that which has come before you, follow it after. Continuously following it after. This one thing, nevertheless, I tell you, follow what you have received. That by the same, which you have attained, which you have learned, follow it after. What you received, follow it. The word there to follow, to keep living on living, is to be on track. It is a word that is used to march, to step on, to step in the same line, to be on the same path. The word here is used as a military term when people went to battle and they were in line together to stay and to fight together. And the Apostle Paul grabs this word and he uses it metaphorically to calling on believers to stay on their lane as they are running the race to follow Christ. Stay on your lane. Stay on your lane and don't be thrown off track. Stay on that path. Well, which path? What did they attain? How? The Scriptures. What you've received, what you've attained is the Scriptures. The Bible. This is the only path that you need to stay on. This is the only way that you're not going to get thrown off your game, to stay on track, to run that race. Keep advancing by the same standard that you received. The teaching of God's Word. Why are we so adamant about teaching you God's word? Because it's your lifeline. It's infallible. It does not change. It does not move. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that there's new fads there's new, no, no, God's word is God's word. You stick with God's word. If you want to stay on the right track here in God's word, you find the treasures of Christ. Stay focused. If you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. But keep running. Stay on track. In fact, later on, this will be our next sermon. It says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. Follow people's example that are holy. If you're going to follow anyone's example to bear fruit, pick fruit that is ripe and follow it. You don't go to a lemon tree and get the smallest fruit and go, well, this is good. Follow a ripe one. Grab something that you can actually mimic. Follow that which you have received from others and you bear fruit unto Christ. But of course, the opposite is true. The immature person, he is very easily tossed to and fro Easy, finds a new fad, something that he had never seen. In fact, he goes and digs and, and he looks at doctrine of people that we would disagree with. And he says, Hey, I found something new. In fact, when I first became a Christian, I won't name who it was, but I used to listen to the teacher, this teacher, that I thought, man, only this guy is super spiritual. Because every time he opened the Bible, he will find something that no one else had seen. No one else. Listen to me very carefully, okay? If someone comes to you and says, I found something, and no one else agrees with him, I I put a massive red flag on it. Because we've had godly men who have died for this Bible. Godly men of the past who were burned at the stake so that we can have the written word of God. If someone comes along and says to you, have a new fresh thing, be aware of it. That's why it's good to listen, to be part of a congregation when the Word of God is preached in its entirety. So here's what we covered today. The growing Christian part two is that the perfect man, the mature man, he has the right attitude. That right attitude, what it looks like, you have to train your mind. Those of you who disagree with it, according to the Scripture, God will reveal that to you. And the right attitude is lived out, And brings forth fruit. So, here are some things perhaps to think about, to examine our attitude this morning, brothers and sisters. If we're indeed maturing and bearing fruit, if we're progressing in our lives, if we're living according to what we have received, or if we're indifferent. Here's some ways to examine Are there earthly pursuits in my life that I see more pleasurable and splendid than Christ? The one who's maturing sees the things above as more precious. He understands that this life is momentary. His focus is not on earthly things, but eternal things. And he invests in eternal Are there things in my life, these are questions to ask, that I'm not willing to count as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Christ? Is this my attitude? But the mature person, he sees everything as rubbish. All his possession, his position, his personal achievement, his powers, they are a stumbling block to the mature Christian. And he wants to move them out of the way because they're a hurdle for him to run that race. That's a person who's growing. Am I chasing after holiness which the scripture says without it, no one will see the Lord? A mature Christian has this mind to become more pure like Christ. His desire is to be pure like Christ. Christ. He knows he will never be, but it's his life goal until he achieves it to full perfection when he sees Christ face to face. That's his desire. Do I desire to have communion and fellowship with Christ? A mature believer, believe it or not, he spends time alone with God. Jesus Christ, who was the most active person who walked planet Earth, and he did miracles and wonders, and yet he spent all night where? In prayer and in fellowship with the Father. If I were to ask you, how long do you pray for? What would you say? How much time do you give to the Lord in prayer in fellowship with him? Just you and him. All week. Would it be half an hour? Ten minutes? Think about it. I'm not talking about talking to God all day long as we do. You know, we drive the car. I mean set time apart to have true fellowship with God and his word. Am I fellowshipping with the saints? A true, mature believer. He desires to be around other believers. Why? Because he needs them. That's what makes you mature. That's not immature. The immature believer thinks he doesn't need other believers. Did you know that? The mature believer says, I need the body of Christ. I need you. I love the Friday nights when we have Friday nights. I love it. I thank God for it, even though when I'm tired and, and, and John has to leave. I love it. Am I fighting my sinful flesh? A mature believer begins to fight and puts to death the things that he once loved. He knows that are waging war against the soul. He does not excuse himself. He doesn't say, well, well, I'm a sinner. The mature believer, he mourns and weeps over his sins. Am I standing firm in a doctrine that I've been taught? A mature believer is not easily tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He doesn't go after new things. He's not easily fallen into error. He follows the elders and what they teach them. Am I handling circumstances in my life right? A Growing Christians, we all have trials and tribulations, as I said. But he looks at the opportunity and the difficulties. Weeping, crying. As hard as it is. And he says, God, you're still God. You're still in control. Am I looking to Christ at the finish line? Am I running? Or am I walking? Or am I sitting on a bench and just watching everyone else run? God didn't save us. To have a lazy life. God didn't save us to chill in his will. God saved us to be active in his will for good works that he prepared before the foundation of the world. If you're in Philippians, look at chapter four and we'll finish here. May this be our attitude, brothers and sisters. Chapter four. Verse 8 and 9, we will look in detail this when we get there eventually. Finally, brethren, here's the attitude we want to meditate on. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence in, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, for your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that you spoke to our hearts, to, that we may bear fruit, that we may run that race, Lord. Oh, please, Father God, we need your help. We need your help, Father God. We know we're not perfect, but we need you, Lord, to show us, Father, that we may run and become, Lord, more like Christ. Help us, Lord. And if anyone does not know Christ, Father, that's why things don't mean anything to them. Our Lord, as I trust that you will reveal to your body in due time the error that perhaps they may disagree with your scriptures, I trust in you, Father, that only you can cause a dead sinner to be born again. May you do this, Father, according to your will and your purpose. Amen.